I'm Robert Conti, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. I have an urgent message. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities have increased in D.C., and I need your help to reverse this troubling trend. Did you know that using a seatbelt can drastically reduce the risk of death or serious injury to you or a loved one? Seatbelts save lives, and together we can accomplish a safer community. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Always wear your seatbelt. Click it or ticket. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. I'm here with one of my one of my favorite guests, uh, Ian Reifowitz, a professor of historical studies at Empire State College of the State University of New York. He is the author of three books, specifically The Tribalization of Politics, How Rush Limbaugh's Race Baiting Rhetoric on the Obama Presidency Paved the Way for Trump. He also wrote the book, Obama's America, a transformative vision of our national identity. I think that was put out by Potomac Books. And I'll have all these books in the list that we have here. And he wrote, Imagining an Austrian Nation, Joseph Samuel Bloch and the Search for a Multi-Ethnic Austrian Identity. Uh, Reifowitz is also one of the most prolific contributing editors to Daily Coast. I've been honored to be on the same staff with him, write with him. He's just one of those all-around um, writers out there that knows what he's talking about. Ian Reifowitz, welcome to Politics Done Right. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, and it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Egberto. I love having you. I love when you have me on the show. I was going to say, I love having you on my show. <laughs> Some, some other time. But my, my dear friend, uh, let me tell you, you wrote an article that sort of touched me and I want you to kind of go over it with, with our audience because I think it is important. Uh, the title of your article was, uh, was, or not was, the title of your article is Trump's False Claims of Stolen Election or, origin, or an Original and Evoke a Dangerous Historical Precedence. That is an article that I think needs exploring. Why don't you tell me a little bit about, firstly, what got you into writing? What, what made you want to write that article? And then let's go into the meat of the article. Right. Uh, so as a uh, history professor, and you mentioned my first book, which um, unlike my most recent books, my first book really uh, you know, is set in, in history, in Central European history. And that's where my, my PhD training is. Uh, Austria-Hungary, Germany, and that part of Europe. And so in many ways, my intellectual journey is about the attempt to understand where real hatred comes from, the kind of hatred that leads to the kind of mass murder that you saw in the Holocaust. So, you know, as well as being a Jewish, you know, a person who is Jewish as well, uh, there's some personal and intellectual uh, motivation to understand that. And so one of the, uh, the key um, signposts in, the, in, in German history as they moved uh, towards uh, you know, the Nazi takeover in 1933 was what happened at the end of World War I. And at the end of World War I, Germany was defeated by the, by the Western allies. However, uh, elements on the right wing, uh, uh, elements on the right wing in Germany um, the commanders of the Imperial Army uh, essentially created this myth that the, 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 the military was never defeated in battle and it was instead sold out. And so, or actually the, the, the proper term is stab in the back and the German term is Dolstoslegende, 
the stab in the back legend. Uh, they were stabbed in the back by the politicians back home and specifically by uh, liberal and democratic and Jewish and socialist politicians. Uh, the German war effort was led through four plus years by a monarchy. It was called the German Empire. Kaiser Wilhelm was the head of state. And actually by the end of the war, the, the two chief military leaders were, were basically running a, a military dictatorship. That was uh, Paul von Hindenburg, who later became president uh, of, of Germany um, and was the second and final president. He was the one who actually gave power to Hitler. Uh, and the other was Eric uh, Ludendorff. They led the army in battle. The, uh, the Kaiser was their head of state. But two days before Germany actually surrendered, the Kaiser was overthrown. There was a democratic revolution in Germany. So that this new democratic government in the end had to put its signature on the, the armistice papers and the surrender papers. So the military commander said, oh, it was them. It was those Democrats and Jews and socialists who stabbed us in the back right when we were uh, on the verge of victory or at least you know, holding our own or whatever. This is a complete lie. It's a complete denial of fact. And that was what was going through my mind or that popped into my mind as I was thinking about what Donald Trump was doing, denying the fact of his election defeat, saying that the election was stolen, saying that the election was stolen by liberals, by Joe Biden, who he's called a socialist. Uh, he hasn't, at least in the election, in the post-election phase, he hasn't, Trump hasn't been using anti-Semitic language directly, at least, but we'll leave that aside for now. But he definitely has been talking about liberals and socialists stealing the election from him. And it just reminded me of this uh, parallel to this Dolchdos-Legenda, the stab-in-the-back myth in German history. And it's so dangerous because it's an undermining of our democracy. Now, what happened in Germany is that the Dolchdos legenda essentially um, took the legitimacy of this new democratic government system in Germany away right at its founding. Because throughout the, the 1920s, mm -hmm. uh, uh, people on the right, including later, you know, within a few years, including Hitler, said, well, you know, the, the only reason, you know, Germany lost World War I, as I said, is, is they were stabbed in the back by the democratic politicians back home. And, and that's how they got their power. Democracy essentially only emerged in Germany by stabbing the military in the back. So the, so the democracy uh, is illegitimate. So and, you know, let, let me, let me hold you there for a second, uh, Ian. In, in order, what, what you're actually saying then is, Donald Trump knows for a fact that he has lost. We've always known that. Oh, he yes. knows that he has lost. But he wants to take a pound of flesh, not for revenge, but for the future. And you see, that is, that is different than what a whole lot of people are saying. A lot of people are just looking at this as Donald Trump being a child. Donald Trump just uh, can't feel about losing. What you're saying is Donald Trump is trying to make a systemic change in America in the belief that in as much as he has lost, that up and coming is that movement that he wants to say the only reason you have lost is that you've been aggrieved right uh and i don't I, i'm not going to say that we know exactly what's going on in his mind but we can certainly see that what he is doing is undermining our democracy let, let me let, let me uh, i want to hold back a second right there you, you, uh, where you say you don't want to get into his mind I never thought the man had a mind. I never thought the man had intellect at all. But he does have a whole bunch of very smart people behind him. 
and he is being the figurehead. So I, I want to broaden that question a bit. And that question being, do you think the studied ones of the right around him actually know how to use him to push his buttons to get to what you're talking about? Wow, that's such a great question. You know, I don't have a, I don't have an, a, a solid answer to that. What keeps going on in my mind is that he really is the driving force. Mm -hmm. He is the one driving this strategy. Uh, I don't believe there are a lot of people around him who think he, he who, who think he can win. Uh, you know, it turned obviously, you know, overturn the election. Um, I think, and I read a really interesting piece on Daily Coast today by, by uh, Mark Sumner, that he does believe that in, in undermining the legitimacy of the Biden election, that he is helping his own political prospects for a return to power in four years. Mark Sumner argued that, and I think it was a pretty convincing case. Um, you know, the, the, obviously there are differences between what he's doing now and what, and what I talked about with the stab in the back myth in Germany. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that what he's doing is, is undermining our democracy because you'll have tens of millions of people if he never, you know, if he keeps this up and never concedes and never says, all right, I really did lose, which he won't. You'll have tens of millions of people who are going to be hearing this, not only from Trump, but from this media, you know, this right wing media, uh, even if it, you know, if it's whether it's Fox News or these new, newer organizations like OAN or Breitbart or Newsmax, where there's a closed loop and they're all saying the election was stolen. Biden destroyed our democracy. So therefore, you know, we have to fight back to defend our democracy. So they, they won't even be thinking to themselves, we're undermining our democracy. They'll be thinking we're protecting our democracy. That's what's so scary. And in, in the same way in Germany, while you had people like Hitler saying, well, the democracy is illegitimate, so we have to fight to protect Germany. That's the same thing that people on, on the right who are devoted Trumpers are gonna be saying, well, we're, we're fighting to protect America. And that means we won't have a, a system that, a, a democratic system that is seen as legitimate across the board, at least not by however many, 50, 60, 70 million of, you know, people, uh, whether it's going to be 72, 73 million Trump voters, I think a decent chunk of them, unfortunately, are going to follow Trump's lead on this. And I don't know where that takes us as a country. Does Trump intend to destroy our democracy? I don't think he's thinking along those lines, but I don't think he cares if that would be the result. And that's the sad thing or the, the scary thing. The, the, the thing about it, and Ian, is uh, I, I want to sort of see if I can push your, your thought process on the previous question again, given what you've just said as well. Because I, I agree with you. I don't think that Donald Trump is thinking anything through. I, don't, I think Donald Trump is that petulant kid who wants to say, I am not a loser. Uh, that petulant kid that knows he didn't get the, 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 the candy and will do whatever he can to get the candy. I believe that. But that, can, that does not exist in a vacuum. In other words, he is the president of the United States, but he is a paper tiger. I used the paper tiger on, an, on, on a newsletter that I sent out today, and I got some pushback because the people who pushed back said, but look at how much damage he has done. A paper tiger, in, in effect, you're saying, can just be torn up, and, and, and that just has a lot. Of, and my thing is, no, but there are a lot of people out there executing for Donald Trump because, in other words, in his ineptitude, in his bravado, in the things that he does, 
it allows them to get the things that they want realized. And I, I, I want people to, and I'm hoping that people would go a bit deeper that Donald Trump cannot exist as just the president of the United States, just as much as President Obama was neutered in a lot of ways by that which surrounded him. And my contention is that which surrounds Donald Trump, unless they are going to use that, how can he be? Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber. poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber, signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. Okay, parachutes ready. Boy, the things I go through to get auto loan rates as slow as 0.99% APR for 60 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Well, yeah, I, I think he can't exercise power. And that, I guess, is what makes him to some degree a paper tiger, at least in this election process. He can't exercise the, he doesn't have the power to overturn the election unless election officials in the various states right. essentially, you know, don't do their jobs and don't uphold the oaths uh, that they swore to uphold on the constitution of their states when they took the jobs. But he can cause damage as a demagogue, right? Certainly, he doesn't have to have uh, uh, governmental authority to rile people up, maybe to get people into the streets, maybe get people into the streets with, you know, with violent intent. Uh, we've seen that on occasion throughout his presidency. And, the, you know, the question is, where do we stand three months from now, let's say, after Joe Biden has been inaugurated? and you have large numbers of people who don't see him as a legitimate president. And even if that's not enough, let's say something terrible happens and the economy goes into the tank, whether it's over COVID or something else. You know, it's one thing that to, to say that people in Germany saw the democracy as, as illegitimate, but it also took the Great Depression to bring the democracy down. But the fact that the questions were already there were, you know, its foundation was weaker. The United States was able to survive the Great Depression, has been able to survive other crises. But my fear is that if Trump and his movement succeed in, in bringing into question the, the, logis the, the legitimacy of democracy to the point where people say to themselves, I don't care about democracy at all. I only care that my guy is in power or that my side is in power. And that, that's more important than anything else. Well, then you're going to get violence. Well, that is the, the thing about it, Ian, is we don't have to ask if that is where we are, because that is where we are. The fact of the matter is uh, that, two, uh, that two Republicans in Michigan decided to just go ahead and say, no, uh, we're not going to validate this election. The fact that we have two senators in Georgia who wants the, a Republican doing his job to quit. The fact that we have Lindsey Graham actually saying 
get rid of those votes. These are all anti-democratic acts by people in power, not by the citizenry just saying, hey, we should throw those ballots out. The people who potentially have the power to do that. So your fear is already here. My question is, it's may, it may not be here in the majority, but it's here in you know, 70 plus million people who decided that at all costs, they're willing to vote for a person like Donald Trump. Um, it, again, you, you said in your, in your piece that, uh, you know, there, there, there's examples in, in Nazi and we see what, Nat, uh, in, in Germany, and we see what Germany had to go through. Is this our Germany time? Well, at the end of the article, I said I was cautiously optimistic that we would not go down that road uh, as long as we didn't have a, a similar kind of economic shock as the Great Depression, right? But that's, you know, hopefully we don't have that. Hopefully we will never have that again. Um, but if you combine the underlying, let's say, weakness of American democracy, in at least if you're going to say that, you know, having tens of millions of people seeing it as illegitimate is a weakness, and I think it, it, I think it is a weakness, if you threw us into a crisis, maybe that number grows. And maybe those people uh, are, have enough force to create some kind of large-scale mass uprising. Well, let me postulate. Let me postulate, uh, Ian. Mm -hmm. Because right now, economically speaking, we are at the precipice for a large percentage of Americans. People talk about a V-shaped recovery. No, what we've had, for real, for real, if you look at the numbers, it is a K-shaped recovery. And a lot of the people on that downward K are Trump supporters. Those are people in West Virginia. Those are people in all these rural areas. They're the ones that are going to take the brunt of this downturn. I mean, if you take a look at in, in Washington, D.C., in Houston, Texas, and a lot of places, the people that are suffering are, are of the lower economic strata. But still, um, with with if McConnell was somehow to maintain power and not passing things like uh, that, that pay people to stay home uh, and all these type of issues and, and, and the recovery that needs to come forth that cannot come forth without demand, we could be there. It's easy to see us having a crisis, even if it's a crisis of the 50%. I, I want to remind you of something. Recently, it was asked, are you better off today than you were uh, several, um, you know, four years ago? And I was absolutely sure 60 or 70% of Americans would have said, no, I'm not better off. 52% of Americans said they were better off. Uh, what they, many didn't understand is a lot of them were better off because they were collecting unemployment compensation from their state and the government was giving them an extra 2,400 bucks a month. So they looked good for, for, the, for the duration of the time when that poll was taken. Uh, what happens when that changes? Right. At the end of the year, unless Congress takes more action, the, the extra unemployment benefits, to, to the degree that they were even in, uh, kept going over the summer when the, when the $600 ran out, yeah. the rest of them are going to disappear at the end of the year. My hope, my hope is that even even in the worst case political scenario that McConnell is, is successful in blocking any new aid. My hope is that we have uh, at, at, at worst a, 
uh, another few months of difficult economic times, and then we get a vaccine going and, and things are able to, to, to come back to a good state. That would still be several months of suffering for large numbers of people. My hope is that it wouldn't be long enough suffering and widespread enough suffering that it would lead to something like civil war or, you know, or you know, mass violence in the streets. That's, that's, that's not, you know, that's a low bar to clear. That's not a good scenario, but I'm hoping that that, you know, if there was no vaccine on the horizon, I would, I mean, my God, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Uh, so that's where I, I, I'm, look, I'm hoping that Democrats win those Georgia seats and that, that we have a Democratic Senate and we can do the things that are right for the American people. If we don't, there is going to be suffering. We need more stimulus. We need more help for people who can't and shouldn't be going back to work until we can get this crisis under control. Uh, but it's not, you know, it's going to be an uphill climb in Georgia, but I think if we, you know, we have a chance there. Uh, but Donald Trump is not helping, and that's what's so frustrating, right? Because we could have a president who uh, could recognize where things are and do what he, what he is able to do to, to, to work on a transition. We could have a Senate where uh, the Republican leader says, all right, listen, let's do something. Let's do something realistic that we can do now, and, and, and we'll see what else we can do in January, but let's get something through now that, w you know, as opposed to them making absurd demands where the Democrats uh, have no choice but to say no because what they're, what they're offering is, is uh, so weak as to be uh, unhelpful. But we're not there right now with this president or with this Senate leader. Now, um, I'm going to change subjects a bit. You wrote another article, uh, America needs a Biden landslide to avoid chaos. Let's make sure we get one. And the thing about it is, you know, I've been preaching that for a long time. In fact, I was prognosticating a landslide based on the, uh, based on the, the pain of the people, based on the activism of the people, etc. What I didn't see was on the right side, the amount of microtechnology being used to bring people out that I never thought existed. Now, um, we got, we did, you know, I think America fulfilled your request. They gave Biden a landslide. They gave Biden more votes than Biden or any other presidential candidate had ever seen. Unfortunately, they gave uh, the second place to Donald Trump. And we don't know where the hell those people came from. What are your thoughts? First of all, why do we always think that those on the progressive side need to have somehow more than a 50 plus one vote to determine that we are the victors. Right, well, that, that, that's actually not what I was saying. I was make, more making a prediction that if the vote was close and there wasn't a, a overwhelming landslide, that Trump would do exactly what he's doing now, that he would cause chaos. Uh, so this was um, you know, my, my hope that none of the states, or, or that, that, wouldn't, that, that the Electoral College wouldn't be close and you wouldn't have close states, which is exactly what we have now, unfortunately. We don't need a land. We don't need a landslide to have a legitimate victory. Oh um, no, no, I, I understood right. that from your article. I understood right. that from your article. But I'm saying it, it's been. It, you, you hear it all the time. We need such a big victory just to say we've won. Well, that's because the other side is. Well, at least right now with Trump, the other side is willing to destroy democratic norms in order to achieve its goals, and so one. You know, the realist says, you know, well, we gotta, we've got to win by so much that there's nothing they can complain about. And that shouldn't be the case. That should not be the case. That's on them. That's on the, on the Trumpers and on those who are willing to, to, to violate, you know, and, and shred our constitutional norms. Not on us. Uh, 
as to you know where those votes came from, you know who knows. I, I do think that you know COVID certainly played a part. Uh, this was not a normal election. Democrats did not do the normal knocking on the door, get out the vote effort that they normally do. There's a reason why they do it. It works. We didn't do it because we didn't want to get people sick. But yeah, I must, I, must, I must push back on that. Again, Biden got more votes than any other president in, I mean, we, we brought the people out. We yeah, just but, where the, those right. others came from. Well, but of course, population grows up with every election, so it doesn't really mean as much to say. Yeah, but I mean, look, we're talking from 65 million for Clinton to right. 78 million or more for Biden. That's right. That's it's impressive. It's impressive. I, uh, both sides managed to bring out a lot of voters, but there's no question Biden's win is impressive. He's going to end up with a popular vote margin that will be comparable to probably a little stronger than in terms of percentage, uh, Barack Obama defeating Mitt Romney, which is seen as a, you know, a very, very solid win. Right. We just have a system, unfortunately, that's not really that democratic, right? Because we have a Senate, not only the Electoral College, right? But we have a Senate that's not distributed according to the, to the actual representation of the votes. So we've got we've to win in, but not just win, we have to win in the right ways, which is ridiculous. Um, and very frustrating, and you know, we could go, we could talk about about ways to deal with that. But you you know, we have a system where the the party that comes in second place often gets the power that comes with winning, Shocking. and that's you know that's not sustainable in the long run either. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think uh, I think like I said, if for some reason Trump had pulled it out, and because remember. There, there is a total of probably 70-something thousand votes right now, depending on how you look. If we look at Arizona, Georgia, and another state, and those were low-margin states. If you look at what those states brought and how those could have tied the, let's say, tied the, um, tied the vote, and then Donald Trump wins because there are more states that are controlled by Republicans than Democrats, that would be a second consecutive win with much less than the popular vote after having a 2000. And uh, how the hell can we preach democracy around the world? That's right. Uh, you know, I think Wisconsin, Wisconsin was also close. If, yeah, he, he would have, if he, he could have flipped Wisconsin, Georgia, and Arizona, he wouldn't even have to go to the House of Representatives. Exactly. Be the president. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber, signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X by gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. We have a system where one side has a decided advantage. And the only way to undo that advantage is to win by a huge margin, enough to take the Senate, even though we're at a disadvantage. 
it's, you know, it's like a boxer who has one hand tied behind his back, but the only way he can get that hand untied is by beating his opponent with one hand tied behind his back. It's very, very frustrating. Yes. Uh, and, and it's not the easiest thing to change. And although I love Barack Obama, one of the tr true failings of, the, of his presidency was that when they had 60 votes in the Senate, or even when they had 59 or 58, that they didn't make some of the fundamental changes to the system that would have made it more equitable going forward. Uh, they, maybe they just thought they were going to, you know, the demography would be destiny. Clearly, that's not the case. Um, the Democratic agenda is more popular. Democratic presidential candidates win more votes. It's now seven out of the last eight elections. But until we figure out how to change the rules, it's going to be very difficult to implement our policy and, and our sadly, agenda. And sadly, the rules are so simple. One person, one vote. Whoever gets the most votes, win. Unfortunately, that is not what we have. Well, uh, look, it's uh, been my pleasure having you here. Ian, before we go any further, what question would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't ask you? Wow. Well, I think I, what I would like to, to have had you ask me is, is how do we as progressives appeal to voters of all races, uh, and in particular, those who would benefit from our progressive economic policies, and as well as from our progressive policies on civil rights and justice, and, and do so in a way that, uh, you know, can reach all of these voters without either turning off one group or the other group. And, and I think the answer to that comes from the research uh, of a person who I've written about, and that is Professor Ian Haney Lopez, who is a law professor at Berkeley. And he uh, has written recently, written a book called Merged Left, and he also has some terrific online resources under the, under the name, which you can Google, of Race Class Academy. And he says, listen, we have to avoid falling into the trap of, of, of uh, arguing either that Democrats should talk about racial justice uh, only or, you know, and, and, and um, make that our primary, you know, focus, this sort of moralistic argument, or that we should have a race-blind economic populist approach. And Professor Lopez says neither of those two are effective in terms of winning elections, or they're not the most effective. In fact, both of those messages often fall prey to the kind of dog whistle politics of the right. He says, what we have to do is we have to be able to talk about race and class in an integrated way. And the long story short is, he says that the message that works, and they've done research, you know, public opinion research to, to test these different messages. He says, this is what we have to do. He says, listen, you gotta tell voters that Republicans are out there pitching a racist dog whistle message in order to keep white and black and brown and uh, Native American members of the working class divided against each other. That's what the purpose of the racist message is. So rather than say, Trump's a racist, everybody who follows him is a racist, racism is bad, vote for Democrats. You say, racism is the tool of the economic elite that doesn't want you working class white voters to ally with working class voters of color. They want you working class white voters to be afraid of people of color, of immigrants coming across the Rio Grande. That's why Trump talks about Mexican rapists and whatever. And that's why Trump talks about uh, low-income people coming to the suburbs. It's all about getting the working class whites to think that the real threat is from people of color. 
And then in the meantime, they don't recognize or they don't remember, these working class whites don't remember or recognize that the economic policies of the Republicans are totally designed at sucking the wealth up the economic ladder to benefit the wealthy. Divide and rule. So that's what Lopez says works. You gotta talk about racism as a class weapon. Racism as a weapon to divide the, the white working class from the working class and other people of color and the, so therefore you want to inoculate these white working class voters into recognizing the racist dog whistles as a, a, a lie and B, a way to attempt to, to uh, fool them or distract them from voting on, on what their real interests are. So that's a message. If you had asked me that question, that would be the answer I would have given you. And I couldn't agree more. In fact, um, while he did it from, as an academician, I did it. As a, as a simple progressive, and I just wrote a book called It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. And that book covers exactly what you talk about, Professor, how, first of all, racism is a tool, and you don't, you don't attack the perceived racist for being racist. You attack the system that brought forth what, uh, what's used to divide and conquer. And I covered all of that in the new book that I just released three months ago called It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing uh, uh, right Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. So thank you for giving me a chance to just do a little plug on my own book, but let's go ahead and talk to our audience about your book, which is The Tribalization of Politics, How Rush Limbaugh's Race-Baiting Rhetoric on the Obama Presidency Paved the way for Trump. Show me that book, Ian. I know you have it there now. That, that <laughs> is, folks, a must read. Ian is an acclaimed writer at Daily Coast, acclaimed professor, and he also wrote Obama's America, a transformative vision of our national identity, as well as imagine, imagining an Austrian nation, Joseph Samuel Blatt, and the search for a multi ethnic Austrian identity. Ian Reifowitz, it's been my pleasure to have you once again on Politics Done Right. As usual, we've always come out knowing a hell of a lot more than when we went in. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy our conversations very much. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package, but that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. I'm Robert Conti, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. I have an urgent message. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities have increased in D.C., and I need your help to reverse this troubling trend. Did you know that using a seatbelt can drastically reduce the risk of death or serious injury to you or a loved one? 
Seatbelts save lives, and together we can accomplish a safer community. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Always wear your seatbelt. Click it or ticket.